You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Oh, welcome City Church. You may be seated. And for those of our friends who are on Zoom, welcome. Uh, you know, if you're on Zoom, you're like, wow, this looks a little different. And it is. We're uh, actually in person today, which is a great thing. So everybody, it is so good to be here. In fact, like, can we throw up the Zoom people? Can we actually see those people? And then we can wave at them because they can see you. They're looking at you from over here. Um, yeah, see there. Hey, Hannah. Hey, hey, Shelly, Charles. Hey, look at these people. Oh, hey, Amy. Right? That's kind of fun, right? They're actually humans out there who, like, they're part of us. We're, it's kind of weird, but, you know, whatever. That's what we're going to do. So I'm Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, and it is super great uh, to be with everyone, uh, to gather in, in God's name and try to go on that journey uh, to know Jesus. So what we're all about as a church is we're a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. It's what we're about, and now we're trying to do it kind of in three spaces, right? There's the indoor space here. We have a patio space here. Hi, Ivan. Hey, Paul. Good to see you guys. Nice to have a little patio for folks who want to be in person but still outside, and then our friends who are on Zoom. So really, really fun today. Um, we want to pray for our kids. So kids are going to, in just a minute, not yet, watching you, kids are going to go out here and they're going to hang out with Miss Wendy and Miss Katie and Dia Rubio, who's somewhere, um, which is great. But uh, we're going to pray for the kids first because we think kids are awesome. And parents, if you want to go out to see where they're going, you can go with them and then come back if you would like. Um, so let's pray. God, thanks so much uh, for our kids. Thanks for the kids who are here at Lafayette School and for our kids who are here with us today. And we pray your peace over them, that they would know that they're awesome and that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. So kids, you can go with your fearless leaders. Oh, and Megan Williams is also in the crew. So that'll be great. And parents, just so you know, at the end of the service, you will go out, pick up your kids, and you'll sign them out. That's how that's going to work today. And now, if you would like to welcome, we have, we have a couple of pretty incredible preachers today. Uh, our usual co-pastor, Brenna Rubio. And our fearless pastoral intern, Gene Kiocho. Well, and actually, to clarify, our fearless intern, Gene Kiocho, graduated. So he, yeah. He graduated from seminary a couple weeks ago. He's this actually very like multi-potential talented type of guy who, I mean, you know, he's finishing seminary. He works as a chaplain and you, you have like a real job yes, too. Yes, I do right? have a real job. <laughs> so you <laughs> yeah, wake up super early. A real early. nine to five job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Gene is, is bringing all of that in as he joins us here this morning. But yeah, super excited for this graduate. Um, it's so good to be here. I, I admit, as everything was like coming together this morning, this first time being back inside this space in so long, I was, I was feeling some emotions, you know, um, but it feels really good to be here with you like this this morning. And, and friends on Zoom, yeah, still so good to have you there and, and our friends out here on the patio. Uh, we have been in this series called Complicated Jesus because we're really trying to acknowledge that a relationship with Jesus is like any other kind of relationship. It's, it's messy sometimes. Like, Jesus was a real person 
fully God, but also fully human. And so with that, like, when we actually dive into the stories of scripture, sometimes we see that actually it's complicated. And so we asked all of you uh, to help us come up with which passages we were gonna kind of go through during this series by saying, hey, tell us some of your favorite Jesus stories and tell us some of your least favorite. Because people actually have least favorite stories too. You're actually allowed to admit that you have least favorite Jesus stories. And so um, last week, Bill, along with Dottie, they preached on one of the least favorite ones, a really complicated story about an interaction that Jesus had with a woman very, very early on in his ministry where she actually teaches him something because he speaks to her in a way that, I mean, just as soon as you read it, you just kind of have this feeling of like, ooh, yuck, that feels disrespectful. Jesus, that feels wrong the way that you're talking to this woman. There's a cringe factor to that story. And yet I loved how Dottie and Bill took us through it. And, and we were able to see that Jesus kind of learned through that story. You can see him actually developing and growing, just as the scripture says that Jesus actually grew into perfection. He grew in maturity, he grew in wisdom and in stature. So that was a story last week. And so this week, we're actually coming into one of the, ooh, we love this story. Like, this is a good one. It's not, I mean, Bill and Dottie, they had to do some hard work last week because it was such a, ooh, kind of story. People don't preach it very often because it's just so hard. We get one of the ones today, Gene and I, that people love to preach about because as soon as you read it, something inside of you starts to just breathe and relax and go, yes, this Jesus Last week was a story where you just kind of get this, like, how do I process this feeling that Jesus is being disrespectful? This week, as soon as you hear this story, something inside of you goes, yes, I want to be talked to that way. I want a Jesus who listens to me that way. And so it's actually just really fun for us that we get to come and do that because we know that for so many of us coming in, that's ultimately what you're seeking. That's what we're seeking, to, to encounter a Jesus who welcomes us in our complications, in our messiness, just as we are, that he would listen and he would just say, yes, you're safe here to be yourself. Uh, so, so, so grateful that we get to do that here together this morning. And I think it's our friend, Barbara, who's going to read the passage for us this morning. Would you welcome Barbara up with us? And Barbara, if you, you may have it on your phone. If not, I think it may be up on the screen here. So either oh, way, either way. Okay. And if you would like to stand up, sometimes at City Church, we like to stand in honor of God and God's word. Folks at Zoom, you do what's comfortable for you. It might feel a little awkward in your living room. I'm resisting singing it. <laughs> John 4. Now Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town called Samaria, in, in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman, oops, 
messed up my thing. The Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, lost my place. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. People of God, this is the word of God. Thank you, Barbara. That was a long one. Yeah, go ahead and be seated. Yeah, so before we get into it, I just wanted to say thank you to Brenna and Bill for uh, trusting me to be up here. I don't know what I'm going to say today. So, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so this is a new space for me, right? Having co-preaching, because in seminary, you're taught, you have preaching classes, right? And it's usually just one person that's talking on stage, and they help you find your voice. They help you outline a sermon. Um, but actually, co-preaching is not even taught in seminary, at least in my seminary, they didn't teach, right? They didn't We're teach a little this. weird. Yeah, yeah. So this is amazing, right? And, um, and they're also, so historically, when I start to preach, like you put on this persona, I'm just going to be upfront with you. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to try my hardest not to have this um, preaching character on, because uh, that's what happens, right? Uh, on stage. It's I like, like that encouragement for Gene. Yeah, we yeah, want the thank you. I appreciate that. Now I'm preaching Gene today, and I'm just going to try to have a conversation with you today as much as I can. There's going to be moments, I think, where I get amped up and maybe 
the preaching does come out, right? But um, I'm just so grateful for Bill and Brenna for walking me through this journey and giving me this, you know, this opportunity. It's always a privilege and honor to be able to preach um, and, and to talk about my perspective and my experiences. And what I love about just co-preaching is you have different perspectives, right? You have diverse perspectives of life, spirituality, and religion, and we're all going through our own experience, and we can all learn from each other. It's not just somebody that came from a seminary, has a fancy degree, because I'm still learning. Actually, I'm still recovering from <laughs> seminary, right? Uh, and, and ask my wife, right? She knows um, I'm still recovering from that, and so I'm grateful. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is what Brennan was saying, that we love this story so much is because... We want, in, in spaces like this, we hope that we follow the example of Jesus, right? And if you notice in verse 6, right, it, this woman, this Samaritan woman came off really hot, right? Because she was coming to this well, kind of minding her own business. It's actually Jesus who kind of disrupted her day, <laughs> right, if you noticed. And in verse 9, she says this, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? And Jesus was, I can just imagine the picture, right? This Samaritan woman has her jar, just going about her day. And then Jesus, probably subtly, in, very, in a very nice way, asks, can I get some water too? And then the woman looks at her and says, like, what are you doing? Like, do you not know? Like, I'm a Samaritan. And the Samaritan woman points out two things. One, like, why are you talking to a Samaritan? And two, and why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? So in a sense, this woman is actually challenging Jesus, which is great, right? And Jesus is kind of looking at her like, what did I say? Like, I'm just asking for water, right? And the woman, the, the Samaritan woman, um, challenges Jesus. And just Jesus looks at her asking uh, like just asking for water and just the context of it just to let you guys know Jews and Samaritans hated each other right Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds they were second-class citizens and Jesus could have easily asserted his power as a Jewish man and says woman I'm just asking you for water just give it to me why are you asking me all these questions but Jesus did actually the opposite right Jesus created this space for her and there's also instances in this dialogue that we just heard that the woman actually questions him. Jesus, or the, the Samaritan actually asked them, like, you don't even have a jar. Like, what are you talking about? How are you going to get water? You don't have a jar. And also challenge them in this sarcastic way of, like, are you saying that you're greater than Jacob, the one who built this well and gave us water? Are you saying that? But Jesus didn't back down, right? Jesus gave her space to ask her questions, have her doubts. And what I love about this conversation is this is one of the longest conversations that a woman is recorded in this, in this, uh, um, in this scripture besides the, the conversation with Eve and um, the snake in Genesis. This is one of the longest dialogues. And it shows so much because Jesus was giving her space. And I wonder in our own communities, at least in my upbringing of being in the church. So I grew up in the church for, uh, I grew up in the church. I started since I was five. And when, you, when you're five, you're already being formed with these biblical concepts, these theological concepts, how to see God, how to see your perspective. So imagine at five years old, 
you're already being shaped, right? And I don't remember, if you're like me, I don't remember a space to actually giving you a chance to ask questions and ask and have your doubts, I mean, besides City Church, right? Um, and I remember after high school and going to college and you start to read and you start to talk to different people who have different perspectives about God and spirituality, you find out like, whoa, God is actually bigger than I thought he was. And you're so excited because of the things that you're learning and you bring it to the person that has been maybe mentoring you and you're so genuinely seeking the truth. And what happened for me and even for my wife, we start, they actually made us feel like crap. Like, huh, like, why are you asking all these questions? And they actually make you feel like you're losing your faith, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, you're doubting a lot. I think you're losing your faith. You shouldn't be asking these types of questions. But Jesus did quite the opposite, didn't he? Didn't he? And there's this quote by David Dubai. He's a biblical law scholar. He says, by asking the woman to give him a drink, Jesus showed himself ready to disregard that hostile presumption, respecting Samaritan women for the sake of a more inclusive fellowship. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, the reality is this is like a disruptive story in so many ways, right? There's the disruptions around norms, around gender and sexuality and power, and there's disruptiveness just because questions are welcomed. Questions are... I mean, like you said, I loved you pointing out that this is like one of the longest descriptive passages, certainly with a woman, uh, that Jesus has. I, as I was reading this, I, I got to tell you, sometimes like when you take stories that are favorites, it means they've been preached a lot. And so for me, I will admit, like I came in like reading this story, like, shoot, I hope I have something to say, <laughs> right? Like something that doesn't just feel like, you know, like I've heard this, you know, 20 times. Um, but I think because there is this sort of this this growth that like Jean, I've experienced over even the last five to 10 years of really allowing myself believing that that God that Jesus does welcome my questions. Um, it was so awesome to read it and go like, Oh, I am seeing it in a different way this time. And so for me, what what really struck me what stood out to me, as I was reading, was I felt like I was meeting this woman, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, fresh for the first time. Because every time that I have heard this passage taught to me, and I've, yeah, I've, I grew up in the church as well, so that's been many, many times, I feel like the focus has always been on her sexual history. Like, what do I know about the woman at the well? I know that she's had five husbands, and the woman she is living with now is not her husband. Ooh, scandalous, right? Like, that's kind of like, that's what I know about the woman at the well. It's like, that's the presenting features, not even just the, the, the cultural distance, but it seems like what is focused on all the time is the sense that, hey, when it came to her sexual ethics, it seems like she was kind of loose. Right? Like, that is always the frame when we hear this story. And I want to first just start by saying, are we sure that's really what was the focus was supposed to be. Like, I gotta tell you, Jesus has no problem calling out sin in people. He challenges people all the time. Like, get me behind me, Satan, to one of his disciples when he doesn't like what he's doing. Hey, you're, you know, you guys are um, robbers, 
stealing from the poor, talking to the religious folks. Like, even one time that there was a woman caught in adultery, and he's very kind and gentle and comes to her, her rescue, and also says, go and sin no more. That it does seem like he's kind of acknowledging, yes, there is, there is wrongness here. You don't actually see any of that in this story here. He doesn't actually correct her, and I think that's something to notice. He does bring it up, though. And here's what I wonder about this area of the woman's life and, and why it is that Jesus draws it into the conversation. I kind of want to bring this up so that maybe we can actually see her differently, not make this the defining feature. Um, so a story. A few years ago, um, I had a very socially awkward interaction with someone. And this is not unusual in my life. I'm a bit socially awkward. Um, some of you don't notice because I'm quiet. Uh, and so some of my socially awkward stuff I'm able to keep behind my mouth. It doesn't, you know, fly out super fast. But I can be socially awkward. So my eldest had a new best friend and wanted to have that best friend over to play, like a little play date. And um, when I called to talk to the other mother, um, the mother wanted to come too. Oh, I'm an introvert. Okay, so now it's a play date for me as well. <sighs> All right, I can do this. So this mother and I are sitting at my kitchen table and, you know, kind of trying to make the chit chat or whatever. I'm doing my best not to be socially awkward, to be welcoming. And, you know, I mean, I do, I do like people theoretically. Um, <laughs> and so she asks me a question and she says, hey, what do you do? What does your husband do? And so I answer, and I'm mostly just living in the awkwardness of, oh, I have to say I'm a pastor, because that's really scary to people sometimes, right? Like, I don't know how that's going to, and I'm a female pastor, that's weird too, right? So I'm kind of living in my own social awkwardness and anxiety. And so I'm not claiming that heteronormativity was not part of this equation. I'm just saying I think my social awkwardness was a bigger part. Because what I did was ridiculous. I should not have done this never do this. But I just reflected the question back to her. How about you? What do you and your husband do? <laughs> Who said she had a husband? Right? Like, oh. so, I mean, it was totally wrong on my part. Don't do that. Um, there's this awkward pause. Okay, so this, think about this poor woman. She's sitting at the table with a woman who has just called herself a pastor. And after this awkward pause, she says very quietly, but very bravely, actually, I have a wife. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> what did I just do? So, you know, I mean, I'm just about to like start crying because I'm just like, oh, what I, you know, just the emotions I probably just brought up for this woman. I said, I am so sorry, like that I, I asked the question that way. That is absolutely not a problem for me. Please tell me about you and your wife. I'd love to hear your story, right? And, and so it goes on from there. But I was just, I was mortified, right? And just, just heartbroken that I created this awkward moment for her where she was, I bet she was worried. I was about to like kick her out of my house, right? Because that's how it can, that's how it can happen sometimes. Or that I'm going to stop, my daughter isn't going to be able, you know, my kid isn't going to play with her daughter anymore. Oh. Okay, so let's go back to this story with Jesus and this woman. And she's talking to him, and it's clear that he is a spiritual teacher. He's one of those religious folks. He's like me, one of the scary pastors. And the reason 
that she is there in the middle of the day drawing the water. She does have this personal history. And she probably has experienced a lot of shame from people. And she has been pushed a bit to the side in the community. And so can't you like resonate with why she'd be doing a little bit of a dance? I mean, that's the sense I get when I, you know, a little bit of a dance. How much do I want to tell him? He's probably not a safe person. I don't know that I can bring this part of myself into the conversation. And so what I sense from Jesus, just in, in saying, nope, I'm going to put it right here in center, and he doesn't correct her, but just saying, hey, I'm so glad this is out on the table. Let's actually talk about it. Let's notice. I'm just fine sitting here with you. I'm not running in the opposite direction. I'm not picking up any stones. I'm saying, hey, that is not a problem for me. We're here. We're here. It's okay. It's a piece that has caused her to feel outside of community. And I sense this intentionality of Jesus to say, like, you know, more than just my social awkwardness and stumbling into it, he's sort of intentionally saying, we can talk about this. It's all right. I know who you are. And I love you. There's a quote from Brene Brown um, that just really struck me thinking about it in this interaction. It says, true belonging doesn't require that you change who you are. It requires that you be who you are. And I sense Jesus inviting the woman into this. OK, so if we're able to acknowledge, all right, loose woman is not like the primary lens that we have to look at her through. What else do we get to notice about this woman? Do you notice that she is pretty confident? I mean, she, she goes there in the conversation. Do you notice that she seems to know her faith really well? Like, she has a lot of spiritual depth. We get to notice that she asks incredible questions. They're insightful. She, she kind of goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus and doesn't, doesn't back down. Like, this woman is confident. She's bold. She's thoughtful. She's a leader. Later on in the story, past the portion uh, that Barbara read for us this morning, she actually goes and she, like, starts telling all the people in her village what's happened. And, and she's so compelling in how she speaks that everybody follows her. This woman is so much more than her sexual history. And Jesus fully acknowledges that in the interaction. She is a woman who, who is confident in sharing her stories, sharing her questions. And, and isn't that what we all want to be? We want to be acknowledged for the fullness of who we are in our own depth, our own complexity. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love how the story ended. And I just love how this different take of this story is. Because historically, like what Brennan was saying, we over-sexualize this woman, don't we? Like, growing up, I've never heard a story of like, oh, yeah, she is smart. Oh, yeah, she is intelligent. No, she's actually, growing up, she's a prostitute. She slept around. She was loose. And historically, too, if you see, when Jesus is talking to sinners, right, or a sinner, usually, what would Jesus say at the end? Go and sin no more. But Jesus never said that at all to this woman. And I wonder... Also, when we're reading this and we're preparing for this, Brenda and I, I wonder, there's this subtle 
verse that the writer added in in the beginning before this dialogue happened. And it says that in verse 6, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So Jesus, supposedly being fully God, fully man, was tired. He needed to take a rest because he was assumingly walking 10 miles, right? He didn't have a Tesla, right? Um, he was walking, but he was self-aware enough to practice self-care for himself and say, hey, I need to take a rest. And I wonder, as we were preparing for this, I wonder if Jesus, because he was in a rested state, he was able to take on these questions that this woman was asking. And what do I mean by that? So these last five, six months, right, I, I was just on the go doing so many things, right? And I, was, I and got to the point where rest wasn't really needed because I needed to do stuff, right? And, and even in our culture and in our society, right, we kind of praise the hustle mentality, don't we? Right? And when you have conversations with people and you say, well, what'd you do today? It's like, oh, I slept in, you know? It's like, oh, well, lucky for you, right? They'll make you feel bad for resting, right? And, and, but when you find out, it's like, oh, I don't need, I don't need to sleep in. I, I can only get four hours and three hours of sleep, and I'm ready to go. And we look at him as like he's a hero, right? We look at him as like, wow, he's doing a lot. But, but once you start talking about rest, it's like, huh, what are you doing? Do you even have a job? Right? Um, Slacker. Yeah, you know? And... I'm grateful for Bill and Brenna, right? Because it's just like, they praise you for, I was like, oh, you, that's so good, right? You rested, that's amazing. Um, and I wonder if Jesus was in a rested state enough to take on these questions, right? Because when you're in an anxious space, when you're worried about so many other things, what happens? You get, if you're like me, I get snappy, right? Imagine if Jesus was tired really tired and these this samaritan woman is asking these questions i think jesus would probably would have snapped at her right and exerted his power as a jewish man it's like give me just just give me water woman please right but he didn't do that jesus gave her space and actually initiated the conversation for her and i also wonder because of that of how intentional Jesus was. And going back to Jesus is supposed to be fully God, fully human. And when Jesus was brought out her past, like, oh, you have five husbands and the one that you're with now is actually not your husband. He could have really kept going, couldn't he? And just called her out on so many different things. But he stopped there because I think that he wanted to show a glimpse of his power. A glimpse of who he was because Jesus saw like, whoa, this woman knows a lot, as Brennan was talking about. This woman is intelligent. She's, she's genuinely trying to seek truth. And Jesus was like, okay, well, let me show you a little bit of who I am. And actually restrained his power by actually empowering this woman to continue to ask her questions, to continue to have her doubts. And during seminary, so we, you go through this, um, uh, for chaplaincy, you have to go through clinical pastoral education. It's just fancy, it's just continuing education, right, for chaplaincy. And so for my clinicals, what I had to do is I was on a care line, basically a crisis line. 
And what happens is um, you, you get to talk to people from all over the country, particularly in California. And you, you talk to people who are with mental disabilities, who have suicide ideations, who are just lonely. They just don't have anybody to talk to. And one of the things that my um, the clinical educator told us is like, you're not there to save them. You're not there to fix them. Because they don't really care how fancy your degree is or how much you know theologically. They're actually just there to find somebody that can actually just give them space to listen to them and to genuinely care for them. And Jesus shows this to this woman and shows how much care and space for centuries or for, for maybe years, this woman never had a platform to actually voice out her, her, her truth. But Jesus empowered her, gave her space. And, and I think that Jesus is calling us to defy social stigmas, right? And not to think like the Jews and the Samaritans, like how Jews treated the Samaritans, not to think that our faith and our intellect is superior than others. Right? But by Jesus engaging with this woman, what happens? We actually are allowed to see how intelligently and how faithfully this woman defended her faith. And that even in her questions and in her doubts, she came to know who Jesus was. And she came to know who truth was. And I think after we remove all this over-sexualization of this woman, we come to find out that we are actually called to be just like the woman. Right, to be sensible, faithful seekers of God and truth. And there's this one last quote I wanted to share. And it's by Gail O'Day, and she's a, uh, she passed, recently passed. She's a New Testament scholar, and she says this. She says, Jesus breaks open boundaries in his conversation with the Samaritan woman. The boundary between male and female. The boundary between chosen people and rejected people. Jesus' journey to Samaria and his conversation with the woman demonstrates that the grace of God is actually available to everyone. So good. Thank you, Jean. Um, I love that last quote and thinking about the boundaries because in a lot of ways, each of us sitting here this morning in this room, outside, on Zoom, probably there's a sense of there's, there's you might find yourself on either side of the traditional boundaries, right? Some of us will find that we resonate more closely with the woman in this story, the woman who is, is so frequently excluded, looked down upon, have this one part of their life be sort of totalizing and, and stigmatizing and um, pushed to the side, disempowered. Some of us may resonate more on the included, powerful side of the boundary, sort of more the Jesus side. The Jesus who could have powered up on this woman, who could have said, I know everything about you and I'm gonna fix you. I'm gonna tell you what you need to do with your life. Let me just correct you all over the place. He could have powered up on her and he didn't. And so trying to figure out which side of the boundary we're on, I think helps us think, so, how is God speaking to me this morning? What is the encouragement for me from here? Am I more like the woman? 
And there's something to just saying like, yeah, God doesn't see me the way that other people have. Like all those words that have been used to like put me in a little box, define me, push me to the side. God says, no, I see you. I welcome you and your intelligence and your thoughtfulness and your questions. You're pushing back. Your full story is welcome. You belong. Just be you. Take some risks. Show up. That could be what God is nudging us with this morning. But for others of us, it may actually be more the Jesus side of the equation. You know, the, the person with a little more power saying, okay, how do I use that power not to power up over someone, but to empower them, to create safe space for them to go on their journey, really just to enjoy them, to invite them to bring their full self and to say, yeah, you are safe here. Um, even if it's in like silly ways like I did with my new friend on the play date, where first I say something stupid and then I say sorry, right? How do we create safe spaces? Rachel Held Evans, uh, who we find ourselves quoting from at least every other week, it seems like. Um, but she wrote, we long for our churches to be safe places to doubt, to ask questions and to tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. We want to bring our whole selves through the church doors without leaving our hearts and minds behind and without wearing a figurative mask. Literal ones are totally welcome. <laughs> so if that's your longing this morning, and I think for most people who come to City Church it is, whether it's your first Sunday here with us or you've been coming for a couple years, there's something in you is longing for this kind of space, the safe space to ask questions, the safe space to be your full self, to talk about your whole story, and know that there's not going to be judgment. There's not going to be anyone powering up over you. What is your piece in helping to create it? Is it just taking a small risk to show up as you really are? Is it taking a deep breath? Having a more rested, welcoming, open space creating sort of vibe as you talk with people? I don't know, but I'm curious. I'm going to